Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Here we go. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will Every culture has its own myths and folktales, those stories told and retold over time. Those folk heroes that are a part of our collective story. I was fascinated as a kid by Johnny Appleseed, uh, John Henry, Paul Bunyan, those larger-than-life figures that sort of pointed us in the direction of what was possible for humanity, Right. Now, those heroes can defeat tyrants in impossible matchups like David and Goliath. They can outsmart animals or monsters like the Inuit folk hero Kiviuk. They can be tricksters who use their wits to free themselves like John the Conqueror. Their stories serve many purposes, of course, but one of them, as I said, is to inspire, to empower us, to give us hope. In today's story... K.T. Brisky has created a mythos and a folk hero for the land of the dead. It's called Folk Hero Motifs in Tales Told by the Dead, and it was originally published in Strange Horizons. K.T. Brisky is a Canadian author whose short fiction has appeared in many publications, including Lightspeed, Nightmare, Strange Horizons, and The Deadlands. KT has been a finalist for the Sunburst, the Aurora, and the U.G. Foster Memorial Award. And they also co-founded and co-chair the Ephemera Reading Series. If you are so inclined, you will find a content advisory in the episode description. And now, if you're ready, let's... Take a deep breath. And begin. Folk Hero Motifs in Tales Told by the Dead by Katie Brisky. Down here among the dead, our fairy tales begin at the end. So Skullbone, hero, trickster, corpse, plans to dive into the Great Maw 
that rends the sea ice far beyond our graveled shores. Against the frozen waves, mottled blue and glassy white, the maw yawns impenetrable. It's the abyss that gazes back, a great round drain in the pure snow world we woke up into. The rays of the midnight sun don't penetrate it, There's never been a corpse that leaped in and returned to sell the tale. But Skullbone is the original corpse, the same cadaver who walked to the living lands and returned with his lover. He tunneled under the mountains and brought darkness to these lands of light perpetual. His metatarsals were the first frigid flesh to tread upon this wind-swept snow. So Skullbone ties a piece of rope around his shrunken waist and gives the other end to his fellow corpses. As long as I keep tugging on the rope regular, says Skullbone, let me be. But if I tug three times, haul me back. His fellow corpses nod. Truth is, everyone in the afterdeath wonders what waits in the maw. No one's been ready to take that last short leap. Here I go, Skullbone calls. Dead souls slapping the ice, Skullbone flings himself forward. For a moment, he hangs suspended in cold air, his arms outstretched, his withered face tight with victory. Then he drops into the maw. For a while, the tugs come regular on the rope. The corpses peer over the maw's edge, but they don't dare slide their gray toes past the ice. Within the maw, nothing. Not water, not darkness, not chaos. Just void. The tugs stop coming. They haul the rope back. Instructions be damned. It slithers out of the maw with end frayed and no skull bone in sight. The trickster's luck finally ran out. The corpses toss the rope in the maw and hightail it back to their lonely village. That was the end of Skullbone. If he's not climbed out of the maw yet, then he's in there still. As for the rest of us, we stayed dead. Happily ever after. That's always knotted my knickers, the way our fairy tales end. When I breathed and bled and sang, stories ran, they lived happily ever after. But you can't verb death. It's a sentence all on its own. Still, they deathed happily ever after would be my druthers. But language grinds down even slower than the mountains that ring our cadaverous village. Stories move quicker, at least. When you got an eternity to spend, you craft stories for the selling and telling. Tale finished, I waggle my wine-purple toes near the lifeless wood stove. Poignant irony, having a wood stove and neither matches nor breath nor kindling and signal for another beaker of briny seawater. Wart sets it by my elbow. Good sort, Wart, 
best bartender we've ever had. The midnight sun lances the tavern windows, striping my long, waxy fingers. They lie limp, out of practice. With a brittle fingernail, I tap a rhythm on the beaker. Almost music, not quite. Someone else spins a new yarn's thread. I've heard every story before. This one bores me to oblivion. Some catabasis crossed with half-remembered science fiction. Leaning back, I gaze out the window. The frozen sea stretches forever, its meager skin carved by the wind. A few corpses stroll the shoreline, gathering stones for gambling. I spy something new. A small, dark shape staggers across the sea ice, lurching, disjointed. No one I recognize. When eternity piles up like snowdrifts, curiosity bites deep. I half-rise from my seat, ignoring the unfolding story as the diminutive stranger struggles up the shallow slope before the tavern. It's a kid. Died early, poor sod. He looks nine or ten. Stick limbs poke greenish out of fluorescent shorts and t-shirt. Despite myself, I flinch. Corpses don't get chilled, but old habits die hard. The kid slips inside, shoulders hunched as every eye falls on him. Not panting, but tensed, like he wants to. New arrival? Wart asks him. I... His eyes flicker. I came out of the maw. Almost dropped my damn beaker. Silence falls sharp. The kid juts his chin against our gaping stares. Yeah, I came out of the maw, he repeats. And Skullbone was there. Before he went into the maw, Skullbone traveled to the living lands. When he was a breathing man, he'd had a lover, and the longer Skullbone deathed, the keener that separation stung. Beyond the corpse's village, there arose great mountains. To these mountains went Skullbone, for it was out of the mountains we had come. He told no one of his journeying. None accompanied him but the biting wind and the crunching of ice against the rock. At the mountain's feet, the wind spoke. Should you find your lover and bring him back, then walk you first along the path with your lover following behind. Do not look back until you feel the snow beneath your feet. Skullbone bowed, for in the land of the dead the wind too has eyes. With strong, gnarled fingers he climbed until he heaved himself onto a path which wound steadily upwards. Singing to himself, Skullbone walked up the mountain path and into the lands of the living. 
He staggered into a velvet summer night, warm breeze rank upon his rotting flesh, the sequined stars pricking his eye sockets. He stumbled to his old village. His deathly grace slipped away, and in his old bed, Skullbone found his lover. I cannot repeat their conversation, but at length, his lover gathered his shoes and coat and followed Skullbone into the night. His living fingers curled in Skullbone's dead ones. I must not look back, Skullbone hissed, or all shall be lost. His lover squeezed his hand. Sweat slicked Skullbone's papery palm. Fighting a shudder, Skullbone strode towards the mountain's distant gleaming. His lover's pungent breath dragged across the back of his neck. A flare of panic kindled beneath Skullbone's ribs. He loosened his grasp, but his lover squeezed tighter. His red-red heart thudded like judgment knelling in Skullbone's ear. The smells, the sounds, the inescapable warmth. What a mistake Skullbone had made. You must go back, Skullbone cried. No, his lover whispered with life's relentless resolve. I shall follow. Skullbone flailed and thrashed, and the scattered stones of the mountain path rattled underfoot. Far below, the midnight sun glinted off the village's silver roofs, and Skullbone glanced down. The snow had not yet passed under his feet. You cannot follow here, Skullbone said. As the wind surged up, he looked back and gazed upon his lover's fleshy face. Splotched with tears and plump with blood, it snarled and vanished back to the living lands. And so Skullbone saved the village from the horror of his living lover and learned a valuable lesson. That is, always listen. To the wind. If you want to spark chaos among the dead, liven things up, as it were, fling the words maw and skullbone into conversation. As the kid crosses his arms, we clustered corpses gasp. Truth be told, the last storyteller looks annoyed. But even she's listening fierce. I speak first. You came out of the mall. Jumped in forever ago, the kid says carelessly. Don't know how long. Nods all around. Time and eternity and all of that. But I met Skullbone there, and he pushed me out, and he's waiting. Around the tavern. Corpses sneak peeks out the windows, their leathery tongues licking dry lips. Everyone wonders what the maw holds. But it's like dying all over again. No one returns to say whether it's utter oblivion or a paradise more fantastical than this one, which wouldn't be hard. This one bites, and not just from the cold. Wart sidles up to me. What do you think? Hiding. I'm the de facto leader? 
Kill me now. Oh, wait. I sigh. <sighs> Let's go see. Not one stiff stays behind. Beakers lie forgotten, and Wart doesn't even shut the door properly. The ice groans and cracks beneath us, glazed whale-belly blue, veined with white and speckled with bubbles. The kid keeps glancing over his shoulder until I trot to catch up. What's your name? I ask. Simon? A pause. That's my living name. Hard not to roll my eyes. We don't know our names when we're born, and we lose them when we die. But the certainty in the kid's voice shakes me. Skullbone? Tell you so? Yeah? Not a smirk. No whining, just a child's implacable logic. It sends shivers down my spine, metaphorically speaking. Around the maw, the ice rears up. White, jagged. Snow races along the roughened surface. If I could breathe, my lungs would crack with frostbite. The maw yawns, impenetrable as always. Absolutely nothing there. Certainly not Skullbone. The corpses lurch to a halt. The kid's shoulders slump. No one speaks but the wind, screaming around our dead, dead bones. The kid bites his lip. Baby teeth leave indents in the pallid flesh. Turning his back on us, he plops cross-legged in the snow. When he comes back, you'll be sorry. Wart snorts and turns away. Then another corpse. Then another One by one, the corpses trail back to the village, a slow-moving band of wizened bodies bent against the wind. Here's the thing about oblivion. The longer you hang around the maw, the more insistently it calls. I find myself edging nearer, my bare toes pushing up crushed ice, They look like frozen grapes, the nails shiny swollen. Simon, I say, gentle. His little spine stays ramrod straight. He'll come back. I said so. Then, defiantly, Skullbone never breaks a promise. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. 
You don't have to hide how you feel. Now, let's get back to our story. Before Skullbone braved the living lands, he yearned to bring darkness to the dead. For here, the midnight sun shines always overhead. Shadows never lengthen and days never pass. But light perpetual wearies the dead like winter. Its rays strike the snow pitilessly. The chill is sepulchral. So Skullbone searched the after-death's far-reaching emptiness for darkness. The ocean he beseeched, to the wind he pleaded. But though he crossed from horizon to horizon, he found neither shadow, nor gloom, nor pall. At last, he came to the mountains. Blankly they regarded him, bearded with the snow and cragged with the wind's ravaging. Have you any darkness among your roots? asked Skullbone. The mountains said, Dig. We bring nothing into the living world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. With only his bare hands, Skullbone thrust his fingers into frozen earth. Little by little, he tunneled under the mountain, wriggling forward like a worm. How long Skullbone dug, I cannot say, but how familiar it felt. The wet earth papped around his nostrils and his fingernails clawing stones from his path. Far from the sky's blue stare, beneath the mountain's roots, there nestled a patch of darkness. Skullbone cupped it in his hands and carefully he bellied from the tunnel. Once outside, he put one eye to a crack in his fingers. The darkness rested safe within. News of the darkness soon spread, and corpses lined up nearly to the maw for the chance to peek into Skullbone's clasped hands. Nor did a single look content them. Again and again they returned until Skullbone's temper frayed. I can't stand here for eternity, can I? He snapped. But the corpses wailed as he turned to leave. Their dead fingers clutched at his elbows, his hair, his ankles. When he leaped, they followed. In a fit of pique, Skullbone hurled the darkness overhead, saying, See it then! For an instant, it blotted out even the midnight sun, and all the dead stood in the shadow of the grave. But then, it burned away like mist, and only the light remained. A long time after I reclaim my seat, Simon slouches in. No one glances at him as he slinks between the chairs and tables. Wart pretends not to hear when he asks for a drink. Sighing, I signal for an extra beaker. Where are you from, kid? Salt and snow sparkle in his limp hair. The maw. No, really. Really? Okay. My voice stays easy. What's it like, then? 
Something passes over the kid's face. Not a shadow, not precisely, but then it's gone. Unease steals through me again like wind off the frozen sea. But then he's shrugging. I don't know. Kids. It's nice, he ventures at last. There's... There's stars at night. They got night times there. Night time? Daytime? The kid starts kicking his legs against my chair. Skullbone goes on adventures every day. And if you're his friend, you can come. And everyone's his friend. Must get busy. No one cares. He sucks his lower lip. They got all the games I played before. And no one says it's not your turn. No one's mean at all. And they got, you know, those, like, candy tubes? My fingers ache suddenly. What I wouldn't give, sell, hack off for one hour with a piano. Half-consciously, I press an old favorite on my thighs. Haydn's Surprise Symphony. Sometimes I want to weep for wanting to hear it again. They got music? I ask, feigning nonchalance. They got everything. Melodies surge up inside like ice crashing upon the shore. Mumbling an excuse, I wander to a group on the tavern's far side. They're retelling Skullbone bringing the darkness, but the words rush past. My fingers mark half-remembered phrases across my skin, dancing a pattern I can almost taste. I walk out into the brilliant light, stumbling, single-minded, scarcely watching my step, but I'm not surprised when I reach the mall. Empty and voracious, it gazes back, coolly. I scoop a chunk of ice from the ground and hurl it in. Nothing happens, of course. It vanishes, disappearing forever into a starry night, a swell of music, scraping behind me. Wart clears his throat, looking sheepish. What are you doing here? (laughs) Due diligence. (laughs) I try to laugh. Wart doesn't buy it. For a moment, he stands on tiptoes, peering over the edge. Then his face clouds over. Kid tells a good story, but Skullbone's just a fairy tale. Yeah, he is. And the dead, we got nothing but stories. Easy to see how this one could get out of hand. Still, fairy tales have an annoying habit of being true. Long before Skullbone found darkness under the mountains, there was another corpse with a story he coveted. A tale remembered whole from the land of the living. Try though Skullbone might, he could not persuade the corpse to part with her story. 
tight-lipped, she kept it to herself, and not a morsel of it did she slip into another tail. I'll sell it, she said, but only for the right price. I've a hundred thousand stories threaded through my marrow, said Skullbone, and a hundred thousand poems besides. Some are true, all are real. What will you take for it? The other corpse smiled. A glass of wine. Only salt water flowed in the land of the dead, but Skullbone gathered beakers from the village huts and strode onto the sea. When he returned, the other corpse scoffed. I want no sea water for this tale. It is not fermented yet. And Skullbone placed the beakers in the window's sun. Each time he passed, he adjusted their position and shook them just so. The other corpse watched and fretted and eventually asked, What now? They must rest in the snow. Do you know nothing about the wine of the dead? Embarrassed, the corpse helped him bury the beakers in a snowbank. There they lay while Skullbone ignored them. You mustn't look at them at this stage, he said sagely. As you know, the other corpse averted her eyes. But at last, Skullbone uncovered his beakers. While the corpse watched, astounded, he whispered to them, each by each. When he finished, he raised a beaker to his lips. Remember, only true storytellers can taste my wine. The corpse seized another. Let me try. But though she drank and drank, coldness and salt only met her tongue. The trickster corpse tilted his head. Was it to your liking? She hesitated. It, of course, he went on. The richer the tales, the richer the body. It was wonderful, she croaked. He smiled. Then I'll have my tale. Duly sold, truly told. Once he had learned her tale, he shared it freely among the dead. You've heard it, too, so we shall tell it another time. Home again, home again. If I were living, I'd say that days passed, but there's no time in the after-death, only eternity. Ours is an asymptotic existence, nearing the day after forever, never actually arriving. I try to forget, Simon. Scrape the possibility of Skullbone from my mind. Since there isn't a stick of furniture in my hut, I lie flat on my back and watch the light play across the corrugated tin ceiling. Under my breath, I hum a mass that haunts me like a ghost. D minor. But I don't have perfect pitch and no way to tune myself. If I could cry, I would. I sit up, rub my dry eyes, curse myself once or twice, 
and then amble back to the tavern. Simon sits in a corner by himself, staring across the ice. When he sees me, he straightens with a guilty shiver. No time to waste words. Corpses jump into the maw all the time, I say. How'd you manage to climb out? He shrugs. Sighing, I lower my voice. You heading back to the maw soon? What's your name again? Haydn. Was that your living name? No. I fail to keep the bitterness out. I'm afraid Skullbone hasn't shared mine with me. Simon stands up. Against his cloud-gray face, his eyes are wide and dark, miniature maws. Then he offers his hand. For a moment, I stay there, rigor mortis rigid, cold inside and out, silent as a piano with cut strings. But Simon doesn't flinch at my scowl, doesn't turn away, just leaves his hand there. Against my better judgment, I take it. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call. Text or chat 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Now, let's get back to our story. In the earliest days of his death, Skullbone made a bet that he could tell a story to fill eternity. Once upon a time, he said, there was a corpse named Skullbone. He knew a story that could fill eternity. This is how it went. Once upon a time, there was a corpse named Skullbone. He knew a story that could fill eternity. This is how it went. Once upon a time, there was a corpse named Skullbone. He knew a story that could fill eternity. This is how it went. He didn't tell it further. Everyone had guessed the ending. He won the bet, though. As we stagger over plunging cracks and wind-sculpted ridges... I croon to Simon what I can remember. Symphonies, oratorios, half a concerto. My fingers tense and release where they should, but the phrases start and 
stutter and stop like a failing heart. Like mine did, maybe. The wind flings loose snow into my eyes. It stings my bloodless lips. To every side, the ice stretches gleaming to the horizons, heads bowed against the keening gales we stagger through barrenness. Here's the thing about the afterdeath. When you first get here, you're relieved. This is it? This is death? Okay. This is okay. This you can handle. Other corpses for stories and chat. Seawater to sip. Cold as the devil's ass crack, but hey, we're dead. Chills as natural to us as warmth to the living. But when that sun doesn't set, when you rouse yourself and the same stories droning on, when the ice and mountains crowd like claustrophobia made manifest, you realize this is it. This is death. Or worse, this is what comes after. Be grateful it's not total oblivion, we tell each other. But sometimes I wonder... Isn't this oblivion, too? The maw's blank indifference weakens my knees. The wind roars over it, offended by its gaping negative space. Hands slipping free from Simon's grip, I kneel at the edge. Stray ice pellets cascade into the abyss. Should we wait? I ask. Simon shuffles. Yeah. Fine by me. Knees to chest, I sit on the wind-roughened ice. Stare into the void like I'll glimpse angelic choirs on the far side. But the maw's emptiness sets my head spinning, so I retreat a little. Rest my eyes on the thin gray snow. Simon's gone silent, his shoulders slumped. Chin up, kid, I say, even as hope sinks in my chest. Okay, he whispers. For a long, long period, we wait. Just the two of us, sitting at the edge of the unknown. The wind shreds our dead skin. Peaceful and patient, the dead may rest, but we're not fools. The capsizing feeling in my belly strengthens. By the time Simon sidles away from me, I know. He's not coming. Simon shakes his head, looking ashamed, at least. I'm numb. Did you make the whole thing up? It was a good story, he whispers, wasn't it? Legend has it that Skullbone was the first corpse to walk this frozen waste. But that's... Bullshit. He wasn't a fucking homo erectus, was he? Where do you draw the line, anyway? Did all the Australopithecus go somewhere else? But the story goes like this anyway. Once upon a time, well beyond the mountains of the dead, there lived a man. He lived, he loved, and then he died. And he ended up here. Mottled gray feet flat to the snow. 
Liver Mortis flush reddening his jawline and the undersides of his arms. The first of all corpses wandered a senseless path through the snow and found only a frozen sea, a clutch of hovels, and the great maw opening like a hellmouth in the middle of it all. He wasn't a trickster then. He was just a man, now dead. He cried for his mother, his grandmother. He shouted at the wind and the mountains until his voice rasped to silence. Nothing changed. Nothing ever changed. But eventually, we named him Skullbone. We told all sorts of stories about him. They kept us going more than anything else, lent meaning to the emptiness, connected us each to each, nerved our hearts to take that final step into whatever follows next. And maybe he never existed. Probably he didn't. Maybe, in the end, that doesn't matter as much as the fact that the stories do. Silence. Even the wind drops down, waiting for me to snap. But I edge nearer the maw, my toes caressing the iced-over lip. Simon stays safely distant, his hands thrust deep into the pockets of his neon shorts. I'm sorry, he whispers. I just, I really wanted... You wanted it to be true. At least dead hearts can't break. Blue sky above, black maw below. My toes curl into the snow, digging, testing... Watch out, Simon says. But no one falls into the maw. Not really. That's the thing about the after-death. We largely don't choose when we enter it. But I think all of us choose when we leave. Eternity is liminal space. I glance over my shoulder. You can't, Simon says uncertainly. It, it wasn't. Real? That doesn't mean it's not true. Simon shivers and shudders, chewing his lip. With a smile, I offer my hand. For a moment, he stays there, rigor mortis rigid, silent as the snow. But then, possibly against his better judgment, he takes it. Music buzzes at my lips as we stand at the maw's edge. A requiem. I have to laugh. I'd expect nothing less. Ready? I ask Simon. Ready. Down here, among the dead, our fairy tales end at the beginning. We jump.
KT tells a hell of a story, don't they? I love stories about storytelling. I I think The Prince's Bride has got to be in my top three favorite stories about storytelling. And this one is, um, this one's in the top five. I love this story. I love KT's use of language. It's, um, it's, it's flowery, but it's absolutely appropriate to the subject. And the, the characters, Skullbone, the, the kid, the bartender. I mean, these are characters that really just sprung off the page for me. And, you know, I, I, I absolutely love the idea of stories and storytelling being the currency in this afterworld. And the idea that, you know, the story may not be real, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Because there is this unspoken contract between storyteller and story listener. And yeah, sure, we can, you know, uh, shout our stories into the void. We can, we can yell into the maw. But what satisfaction is there in that? point of being alive, or in this case, dead, is to have community, to share something of value. Each to each, they say, each to each. And for me, that's the magic of storytelling, that it, it's best enjoyed in the company of others. That's why I do this, because I love the idea of sharing stories that I love with people that I love. And you all are certainly among that number. In any case, while we are here in the land of the living, I will go on reading stories to you because that's my story and I'm sticking to it. My thanks today to KT Brisky for allowing me to read their story. If you enjoyed it, please check out lots more of KT's short fiction and novels and scripts at ktbrisky.com. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith. She is the best in the business, y'all. Our fabulous researcher is L.D. Lewis. Always happy to have you aboard, my sister. We had additional research support this season from Talon Stradley and Josephine Martirana. Theme music by the extraordinary Brendan Burns. Editing and sound design courtesy of the fantastic skills of Mr. Casey Holford. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend about it or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Like I say, share the short fiction wealth. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. 
Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And if you want to find me on the internet, I'm LeVar.Burton on Instagram, at LeVar Burton on X, or you can simply go to LeVarBurton.com. You can also join my book club at fable.co slash LeVar. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.